Welcome to a special joint episode of Geopolitics Decanted and Risky Business. I'm your host, Dimitri Alperovich, Chairman of Silverado Policy Accelerator, a geopolitics think tank in Washington, D.C. And today, I'm co-hosting this episode with my good friend and longtime Geopolitics Decanted collaborator, Patrick Gray, the host of the Risky Business Cybersecurity Podcast. Today's guest is Ilya Vituk, head of the Cybersecurity Department of the Security Service of Ukraine, the SBU. And we're gonna be discussing what Ilya and his team have observed in the cyber domain prior and during this latest Russian aggression against the country, as well as Russian adversary tactics, techniques, and procedures, what has worked so well for Ukraine and the SBU in this fight, and what their needs are going forward. We hope you enjoy it. Ilya, maybe we can start with your role. Our listeners have certainly heard about SBU, the Intelligence Agency of Ukraine, and you've been in the news recently. Your director has spoken about using drones, naval drones in the Black Sea against Kerch Bridge and other targets. But what is the cyber department that you lead at the SBU? What, what is your role and your scope of responsibilities? So Security Service of Ukraine is the main counterintelligence body of the country, and it's both counterintelligence and law enforcement body. And cyber department is responsible for everything connected with cybersecurity, critical IT infrastructure, and what we call information security, meaning countering uh, malign disinformation campaigns, uh, specifically from Russia today. So we counter every aggressive and dangerous influence from special services in the area, uh, in cyber realm, and informationary, um, I, would, I would call it that way. So kind of maybe a, a mix of NSA and FBI, right, for, for our listeners in the U.S.? So actually, uh, Security Service of Ukraine, probably if connected, uh, if comparing to the United States of America, most closely, uh, this is FBI. But also what we do as cyber department, we have also some functions of uh, CISA. So, uh, so partially we are both like, counterintelligence, law enforcement, and also as cybersecurity subject. So we also deal, we have our own uh, unit that acts as a CERT team. We operate security operational center. We install uh, security event information, uh, event informational systems. We uh, install telemetry sensors. So we look at this data, we conduct incident response, we conduct uh, attribution and investigation but also criminal investigation. So we put all, the, uh, all these uh, things about cyber attacks into criminal cases and then bring them to court. And of course, we look at, the, our, at our critical IT infrastructure about all the systems that are being built, whether there is uh, or possibly could be a Russian software there, whether system administrators for instance, helps uh, some relatives in Russia and maybe may be used uh, by Russia in order to conduct some kind of uh, subversive activity. We look whether there are some kind of embezzlements uh, while some systems are being built because if there are embezzlements, that means that systems could be prone to cyber attacks. They could be less protected. They could be not needed at all. So, and this money could go into some better places in order to ensure our cybersecurity. So, a big scope of responsibility. And we have both field officers that conduct uh, like operative work, and we have technical specialists. So, uh, a wide range of responsibilities starting from detection, incident response, investigation, overseeing, if we can call it that way, all the processes of digitalization. Uh, in terms of protecting them, uh, our digitalization against uh, special services, especially from Russia Federation today. It's a very broad mission, and obviously you've been very busy, not just since the war began, but even pre-war when I was in Kiev and we were meeting. You, you said something that I thought was really interesting, which is that the Russians really prepared you well for what has taken place since February 24th, 2022, because of the various attacks they had launched, of course, for many years, but in particular back in, in January of 2022. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that, what you were seeing before the war and why you actually found that to be useful in preparing you for what has come since then? Well, first of all, it is very important to understand that for us, before the war, it was before 2014, because the war 
not such a full scale, but actually even more started since 2014. And especially if you speak about what we call now cyber war, it also started in 2014. So first cyber attacks, destructive cyber attacks started back then. And we gained a lot of experience since 2014. So it means like eight years before the actual full-scale invasion. And there were many prominent or notorious cyber attacks like uh, Industrial, like Black Energy. These were first attacks, destructive attacks on our power grid. And uh, back in 2015, by the way, there was the first attempt attempt that cost uh, 40 million people without electricity for six hours. So at that time, it was something very much surprising, you know. Uh, then again, industrial in 2016, there, then there was an attempt to penetrate our train railroad control system. And this actually could cause a collision of the trains. We just in time switched to manual mode and avoided this. Then there was NotBeta in 2017, this world-known attack, because like around 60 countries suffered from it. So these were all our lessons. And we, during that time, we improved our legislation. We adopted new cybersecurity strategy. We invented tools and techniques that are actually effective countering this Russian aggressive cyber uh, potential cyber attacks. And, uh, but even more than that, after the beginning of the full-scale full uh, war, we, we've got new knowledge how to use all this uh, experience into critical, in, in critical circumstances. So meaning when you or your objects of cyber uh, critical IT infrastructure that you need to protect is under shell, when your city is about to be surrounded, when system administrator is gone because he needed to take his family out of European or Bucha. So when you've uh, been put to survival mode, you know, you have some extra, uh, extra skills and knowledge. So how to use everything, very effective. And we need to understand that the massiveness of these cyber attacks have been constantly growing. So back in 2020, uh, we as security service uh, dealt with around 800 cyber attacks and critical cyber in incidents that we consider were stemmed from Russia. Uh, and we thought that that was a lot. Then in 2021, the number was 1,400. And then in 2022, the number war was 4,500 cyber attacks and critical cyber incidents. So you see that the immense growth three times more than back in 2021. And when you need to deal with such a massiveness, you know, we on average have 10, 15 serious events that we need to react on per day. So, of course, that make, makes you more uh, focused and you, 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 you know what to do and how to do it quickly. We've established and developed mechanisms of working together between different subjects of cybersecurity subjects. So, because we have, like, it is called SCAB. this is analog of CISA, we have uh, national police, we have uh, national security council, so a lot of uh, bodies, uh, minister of defense, for instance, so and we need to interact very, very quickly and react on cyber attacks. And of course, you've mentioned the cyber attacks at the beginning of uh, previous year. It was on January and on February. So these were two big uh, combinations of uh, cyber attacks that happened simultaneously. And for us, it was like a dress rehearsal before the, the actual invasion and before the full-scale full, full scale, uh, war. In January, it was January 13, 14, uh, it was a mixture of everything. Uh, defacing websites, using wipers, lockers, uh, DDoS attacks, and uh, also the psychological disinformation campaign that actually... Uh, was also launched simultaneously in order to make people panic that uh, all of their data were uh, stolen and will be exposed and that uh, all the IT infrastructure will be wiped away. So that was the idea because around 70, 70 state websites were defaced in the morning of January 30. And, you know, for us, it was another big, big experience. 
like literally for a couple of days, uh, everyone who is somehow attached to cybersecurity, they were all standing on, on their ears, you know, because we needed to cope with all that problems. And indeed, most of the resources were fully restored, like in a couple of hours, there were only a couple of ministries that indeed were damaged, more serious, and we needed more time to, to bring it back to normal. And then there was another uh, another um, uh, uh, combination of cyber attacks in February, probably around one week before the, the invasion, roughly 10 days or one week, something like that. So, and for us, it, it, make, it made us even more confident, more prepared, so and nothing could uh, make us uh, uh, surprised anymore. And what happened in, uh, on February 24th, actually even one day earlier, because the attacks, actual attacks, they started in the evening of February 23, and they attacked a number of resources. Most prominent uh, was, of course, uh, Viaset, uh, satellite uh, communication system, because they wanted to attack our uh, military because they knew that we used that satellite uh, for communication. However, we coped with that problem rather quickly and uh, till probably 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning on February 24th, like most of uh, the, the possible damage that this attack could produce, we already sorted it out. So if this is, uh, if to, to speak very briefly about uh, those long eight years before the, the full-scale invasion. Now, uh, I just wanted to jump in there earlier because I'm very glad you mentioned what happened in 2015 because this is you know, really well-studied stuff even outside of Ukraine. Uh, it's not every day that an adversary manages to disrupt power infrastructure. Entire books have been, have been written about this. But it's, I find it very interesting that we had this, this uh, trajectory where Russia was doing all of this incredibly aggressive and damaging stuff, targeting industrial control systems and whatnot. And then in the lead up to the invasion, of course, we had the Viasat hack, which was uh, you know, very widely reported on and, and is regarded as, as the most, uh, I suppose, uh, interesting thing uh, that Russia has done with cyber through, throughout this, uh, this more recent escalation in the invasion. But, you know, you also spoke about more recently dealing with things like wipers and website defacements and information campaigns, which is not really what people were expecting. They were expecting more of this big, scary stuff from Russia, attacks against control systems, attacks against the banking sector, you know, uh, attacks that would actually achieve some sort of effect. Why is it that we haven't seen that? in Ukraine, is that because you had time to adapt your uh, defences or is it because Russia has just planned all of this so badly? Well, you know, uh, it's not only because Russia is not that good uh, as probably the world supposed it is in terms of cyber, but also because of this experience we had and because we are far better than probably uh, most of uh, people in the world supposed before. Because when you are constantly on the cutting edge, when you constantly see and feel uh, all these TTPs, it is very important to say that we deal with special services. Uh, they are in charge of all the, uh, the attacks. They conduct the cyber attacks. They orchestrate the cyber attacks. So these are not about some talented youngsters that are in search of easy money. So this is not about ransomware. This is about professionals. They have laboratories. They have research institutes, institutes to uh, develop specific uh, malware, uh, custom malware for specific systems. And so they did it all the time. And there were a number of attacks, you know, but probably not known to all the world, uh, that we stopped on initial stages and understood what methodology they actually use. So, of course, yes, the knowledge that we gained during those eight years, like I said, probably was a crucial thing that, that didn't let Russians to do what they, what they wanted to do. Speaking about attempts, there were and are a number of attempts to conduct destructive, serious destructive uh, attacks. For instance, just recently, they tried to attack one of our telecom operators, and we have three of them. So, and it means that uh, 
even causing damage. And they were, believe me, they were very, very deep. But luckily, we uh, we managed to stop, and uh, so no damage uh, has been produced. It was starting from uh, starting from eavesdropping and finishing with uh, leaving like around 40% of the population without communication. And if one telecom operator stops operating, the other two, they just, they will be overloaded. So it will be impossible for them uh, to, to cope with the problem. So meaning hitting one means hitting all three. So this is just recently, it was a couple of months, uh, months ago, for instance. And something like this is happening all the time. So they, 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 they tried, but they just couldn't, uh, it, it, is, it was very difficult for them to, to, to come to success. And by the way, they also, another mission they had last autumn, they tried to coordinate and to conduct simultaneously cyber attacks with missile strikes on our power grid. So there was a, a serious growth and there were a number of attempts that we blocked and stopped on, stopped on initial stages, uh, hitting our power grid, our power plants, uh, distribution companies. And so they wanted to penetrate SCADA and they wanted to switch off the light using cyber tools. So it's not that they, that they didn't try, it's because they, they couldn't manage to do that. And of course, we need to understand that uh, their resources, Russia's resources, are limited. Not in terms of money. No, they have money. They have laboratories. But in terms of professionals that will cover all these cyber activities against all the infrastructure of Ukraine. Because our infrastructure is huge. Ukraine is a very big country. And it's not that easy, you know, to cope with everything, with communication, with power grid, with conducting psychological campaigns, uh, with uh, ministries, state administrations, etc., etc., etc. And apart from that, they also conduct cyber attacks on countries that support uh, Ukraine. So somebody also has to do it uh, as well. Of course, we understand that these are usually... Mm, low-profile uh, actors that they use because most of the uh, most dangerous and aggressive cyber potential, it goes here in Ukraine and we digest it. But nevertheless, somebody has to do this. And you understand that it's not that easy to take a ransomware guy and make somebody who attacks uh, Ukrainian infrastructure with destructive attack just in a, in a couple of months, you know, or in maybe in a couple of years, because they were all focused on infrastructure in the United States of America, in Canada, in uh, Europe. So different tools, different methodology. So it, it, it is difficult for them to bring enough people, you know, professional mm. people that will I, cheat I, our... I got to confess too, Ilya, I don't quite understand their strategy, right? Because, you know, you've spoken about this and there's been some debate in cyber circles about whether or not these attacks against things like power facilities at the same time that they're being struck with missiles and struck kinetically about, you know, what Russia is really trying to achieve with the cyber component there, um, other than just keep everyone uh, on the defending side quite busy. Like there's no deeper strategy. There might be coincidental targeting as in, okay, everybody, we're attacking this place today or we're, we're attacking this facility. But there doesn't seem to be any sort of combined arms approach or thinking going into doing this sort of stuff. I mean, you know, I'm certainly an outsider in all of this. But what do you think about this idea that Russia's strategy just seems to be to cause as much chaos as they can and there's not really anything deeper to it than that? Uh, first of all, it is very important to know how military systems and let's say post-Soviet military systems work with a lot of bureaucracy, with a lot of people in this chain of command and it's very difficult to make things work as, as the order is. So meaning you, you order to do this, do the combination and let it be effective. But in the end it's not that effective just because of the, all of the problems uh, Russia has all of the not understanding uh, how we defend ourselves already. So it doesn't mean that the idea was to create chaos. The idea was, it's like with missile attacks. So uh, having this uh, air defense we have now, uh, thanks to our partners, we still need a lot, but nevertheless, the accuracy 
of Russian missile uh, attacks today is a little higher than 80%, sometimes, um, I mean, lower than uh, 20% out of 100, yeah, uh, sometimes 10%. So it means that you try everything you can and, and something will hit. So that's how they worked with power plants and the exact, uh, exact uh, situation they tried to do with cyber attacks. So meaning that, I don't know, maybe there will be a cyber attack or a missile coming there. But in the end, the so they're, they're, they're throwing effect... they're throwing everything in and hoping something will Absolutely. will do the job, right? But it, it, it seems like the cyber component of this, you know, this is actually something that Ukraine has been able to withstand quite well. Uh, this is the first actual cyber war, meaning that there are two countries, Russia as as an aggressor, we protecting ourselves and also conducting counteroffensive already. I I won't uh, hide it. So yeah, of course, we also conduct specific operations. Uh, because we have all the right to do that, that we are the aggressors. And of course, we need to make them busy. Of course, we need to penetrate their systems. We need to get the important intelligence uh, in order to make our victory happen uh, faster. But so these are two countries uh, not hesitating to conduct destructive attacks, you know. So this is the first example, so right example. And that's probably so many things, they happen for the first time. So uh, nobody had experience like this before, and now this is a testing ground for this. And, and Ukraine ha- uh, is a testing ground for Russia's cyber weapon, what, what I say. And now we see how it works here in the country that was prepared for eight years before. But, you know, saying that they are not effective, uh, it's very important to understand that you cannot predict what would be if Russia would attack Another country, not Ukraine, some European country, some small European country, with That's all not their cyber tools. prepared in the same way because it hasn't had the experiences Absolutely. yet. And you know, I do believe that the consequences could be indeed, indeed very, very serious. So, and let's not underestimate the, the, the problem that cyber attacks can actually cause when they are conducted in a, in a destructive manner like what they do here in, in, in Ukraine now. I mean, it's interesting because it seems like you're agreeing with a theory uh, that I've heard before, which is that Russia made a strategic mistake in 2015 by launching these types of attacks uh, against Ukraine because it, it, it forced policymakers, it forced leadership in Ukraine to take this extremely seriously and get prepared, uh, which may have made it much more difficult to do these sorts of things again, uh, uh, during during this phase of, of the war. So it sounds like you're agreeing with that and that, you know, Russia's prior behavior um, helped to prepare you. Uh, even more than that, you know, uh, you mentioned 2015, but let's not take uh, that long. For instance, if we say about the cyber attacks in the beginning of the year, like January and February, I do believe that this was a great mistake because they did have good access to our systems and they could use them simultaneously on February 23 all together. And, you know, because like I said, we had this dress rehearsal and we could be more sort of sort of relaxed, you know, and uh, because indeed January, February, and then after the invasion, for the, probably in the first week or two, they used most of the aces that they had in their sleeves. So, and so they'd done, they'd done the, prepar- the, the preparation, they'd got the access, they pulled yes. the trigger, and then after that they didn't really have, you know, I mean, and this seems to be a consistent yes. theme, which is Russia didn't have a plan B. They had a plan where they expected to, to achieve their objectives in, in Ukraine very quickly, and when that didn't happen, they, they didn't really have a backup plan. I mean, it, it, that Absolutely. seems to be the narrative, right? Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, and they started to... Uh, run out of fuel because uh, indeed they supposed it to be a blitzkrieg and then after a couple of weeks when they understood that they, this is for a long time so they just started to to attack everything they could with all the with all the uh, with, all, with all the potential they had so they even attacked toy stores what does that mean? that there was an order that you need to attack and then you look okay what can I attack? I need time in order to to get a good access to, to good systems. So I will attack what is uh, easier to attack. So like toy stores, like 
pizza stores, etc. Well, anything et anything vulnerable, I think, is the is the point, yes, right? Ev yeah. ev anything that they could find. So this was during the first time. Then, after a couple of I don't know, a couple of months, probably, uh, they understood that this tactic won't lead them to do anything, and they changed it, and they started to be more focused on reconnaissance. So they understood that now they need to know more about our plans. Yeah, uh, now they need a plan B, but they're going to have to come up with it while they do it. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. So this plan B, it, all, it emerged after a couple of weeks or even months because of all this bureaucracy after the actual invasion. Yeah, that's for sure. And of course, back in 2015, you said that this was a mistake. This was a mistake, but I do believe that this is about strategic leadership. I don't think that everyone in Russia in 2015 understood and knew uh, what is about to happen and that the full-scale war is about to happen, you know? So that that's also uh, something we need and, to and consider. And Ilya, do you have any theories for why they launched these attacks so early? I'm talking about January and February before the full-scale invasion. Do you think that was a lack of coordination between their cyber forces and, and their military forces? Maybe they thought that they would go earlier than they ultimately did. Why sort of use up your ammunition, if you will, before you actually start? Well, my theory is that they wanted to execute these cyber attacks. And the idea was that with these massive cyber attacks, they will, first of all, they will wipe out a lot of infrastructure and make people panic make people more vulnerable, and they will prepare people. Most of, all, most of the things that it was about psychology of our people, like what will happen in a couple of weeks, uh, we're speaking about, uh, or, or a month is, because actually nobody knew when the invasion is about to start. You remember there were a number of dates. So started in uh, January and then, okay, February, so a new date was coming uh, every time meaning that probably this was a cyber attacks and everywhere everyone would be so shocked with what what would happen it would be easier for them to to come you know and break the our people mentally so i do believe that that was the idea but we coped with them and even showed okay look how strong we are we cope with that, that kind of attack so so it it played a bad bad joke with them but i do believe that the idea was like that because even on february 24th in the morning main focus of their attacks was on uh, this psychological uh, point. So there were a lot of telegram channels. They tried to attack websites of uh, local state administrations. So in order to pe leave people without information and without the understanding what is going on. And I, I do believe that probably you cannot imagine what happened here uh, on February 24th. This is something... You know, no matter that there were some some kind of warnings that the war about to start, but actually nobody thought that this would be from all sides, you know, su such a full-scale thing. And it was chaos. And when, when there's chaos, when there is fear, people always are searching for information. So, so this, uh, it is very, it's vital and important. And, you know, this disinformation campaign that Kharkiv is already surrounded. Sumer is already surrounded, and, and that was that wasn't truth. That was their initial focus uh, back on uh, February 24th for a couple of days to break people's will to resist and to make them surrender. So I do believe that these series of attacks would show people that look what we do with your IT infrastructure, and when the operation would start, the actual full full scale war, they would say. Surrender, otherwise you will have even more dramatic effects that, than what you have seen a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago. So I do believe that the idea was like that. And this is the uh, idea of uh, special services, of GRU, of FSB, you know, that, that's how they played things. Because uh, military people, they have uh, a little bit more plain understanding of how to, to make people surrender. So, Ilya, you, you mentioned GRU and FSB, so there are, as our listeners know, three major intelligence services in Russia that conduct cyber attacks. GRU, the military intelligence, FSB, the uh, domestic and kind of uh, near-broad intelligence service, and then SVR that does the foreign intelligence mission. 
which ones have you seen in Ukraine? Is it all of them? Which ones are most aggressive? And, and do you see any cooperation between any of these agencies or are they all operating on their own? Uh, so we witness all three of them. If to speak about most dangerous, these are GRU and FSB. I, I don't know who, who will be the first. Probably, my opinion, it will be GRU. These are uh, APT-28 and Send War. However, FSB has also strong APT groups. For instance, Gamoredan Group uh, and Turla. But uh, I do believe that, especially in the beginning, that GRU was, for, for a short period of time, they were put in, in charge of all the operations. Because we have the information that some accesses to our systems uh, that our special services had, they gave these accesses to GRU in order for them to conduct simultaneous and planned uh, operation. However, after that, when uh, things uh, turned out uh, in a different way as, as they planned, they all started to um, work uh, separately. And most of today, we mostly see GRU and FSB. They are mo more more active than SVR. However, SVR is, is also linked. I just want to jump in there earlier and ask you, you know, it seems like Ukraine has done well under the circumstances when it comes to defending itself against uh, the, these attacks, right? You know, you're talking about, as you pointed out, a large country, lots of infrastructure, uh, a fairly small economy. What do you attribute your success to? You know, what were the things that you did that worked? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people both in, in industry and in policy who are listening to this who would love to know, like, if you had to describe the secret of your success, uh, you know, what would that be? There, there, is, there can be a simple answer to this question. But probably, uh, like, first, like I said, this is experience. We had time to, to, to be prepared. And not only our professionals, how to counter the attacks, I mean, on technical level, but, but also about policy, about strategies, about law. Uh, again, this is our uh, communication and our cooperation with our partners. These are both, I'm speaking about state and non-state entities, special services. So we, we've studied a lot. We've uh, studied our people abroad. We've seen best practices that were in the world uh, at that time. So we received a lot of help. We received a lot of uh, financial help, uh, of hardware and software and, and all other kind of stuff during that time. And, you know, the more cyber attacks we had, the more uh, notorious cyber attacks we had, the more help we received during that time. And of course, in terms of, in terms of uh, money, this is a very big problem because the IT infrastructure of Ukraine is huge. It's a bit huge. And it is very difficult to protect everything. But it's very good that we have algorithms already. So, like, we know what to do when something bad is happening. So, and we have possibility to react. We, we know how to react quickly. But nevertheless, a lot of systems still in Ukraine, they have to be built from, from scratch. A lot of things that we still need to do. And this is also one of the priority of our country and security service of Ukraine, as we are responsible for this uh, cybersecurity, that we need to make our objects of critical infrastructure uh, not just well protected, but I do believe that we need to make them a gold st standard in uh, uh, cybersecurity. So because most of cyber potential, the most aggressive cyber potential that exists in the world now, we digest it. So, and our uh, walls uh, need to be as strong in order to, because, you know, we take this cyber potential and it cannot go further because once our uh, defense would fall, once our cyber defense would fall, you understand that this potential would be used elsewhere in other countries in the world. So I do believe that this is not only our mission, but it's also the mission of the whole democratic world to make our systems protected and to make us to make it possible for us to cope with all the possible with all possible cyber attacks Russia is about to conduct further. It is very important to say.
So these are both mixture of, of experience, of knowledge, of understanding best practices, of getting uh, all kind of financial support and of all kind of intelligence support as well. So because we get information from special services, from cybersecurity companies that uh, make all kinds of different investigations and we understand what infrastructure can be used, what malware can be used, what possible victims here in Ukraine we have. So this is all the combination and the understanding how to use this information quickly and in the in, in most relevant way, probably this is the key to success. And of course, after the full-scale invasion started, uh, you know, it seemed like there were a lot of uh, Western companies that wanted to volunteer uh, products, services. I mean, we've heard stories of, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, one of the companies that makes FIDO2 keys sending over 30,000 of them and things like that. And and, and Microsoft uh, helping out with um, things like 0365 uh, access. You know, how helpful has that stuff been? And are you still getting what you need? And, and, and what else do you need? We've got a lot of industry listening to this. Um, so, yeah, what, what has helped in, in that round? And, uh, you know, what, what else do you need? Well, indeed, like I said, a, a lot of things, a lot of things that we, we, we've received. You, you mentioned already some companies, and, and this was in both, and, 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 and Microsoft and Cisco. And, uh, and uh, so you probably know that we uh, what we did was cloud migration just before the war and was extremely helpful because uh, we managed, you know, just to save our most uh, important uh, data from missiles, from, because a lot of our infrastructure, uh, we understand that was virtually occupied. So, and we managed to, to, to bring and to, to, to store this uh, very important information abroad. But apart from this, if we speak about cybersecurity, we received a lot of tools free of charge uh, from different companies, like, for instance, from Mendy and from, from Cisco, uh, specific telemetry sensors. Uh, for instance, uh, Mendy, we received a phone, a phone call from them on February 24th in the morning, probably at around 11 o'clock, and they said, you have unlimited access to all our products. So meaning they have this specific uh, XDR, extended detection and response, uh, decisions, uh, sensors we spread uh, along our obstacle infrastructure and they also gave us dedicated team teams of people who will analyze the information for, from these uh, telemetry sensors so and to help us to cope with cyber attacks so this was extremely important uh, at Cisco didn't be the same for instance so it was extremely important for us because, because we had additional hands to cope with these cyber attacks in the very beginning. Then, for instance, uh, U.S. Cyber Command, they came to Ukraine in December 2021, and together we inspected a couple of objects of critical IT infrastructure that we believe will be, uh, that Russia will focus the attention uh, on, uh, supposedly. And it happened just like that. So together we inspected them, and then they provided us with some specific uh, hardware and software a and it helped us a lot because up just after the invasion they, they started to attack these, these objects. So these are just some examples of the help uh, we received and then the help from cybersecurity companies when we constantly received the flow of the uh, of their investigations about Russian APT groups, about their TTPs, about what they are doing and, and working with malware, etc, etc. So the combination of this helped us a lot. However, like I said, our IT infrastructure is huge. And it's a very important question today, you know, a lot of uh, people, companies, uh, countries, they ask, what do you need? Probably the thing I want to ask now, I ask for the cybersecurity companies to come to Ukraine right now. And we just get, we have a special group of everyone who is uh, involved in cybersecurity uh, we have uh, Vice Prime Minister Federer uh, in charge. We have uh, we have security service uh, representatives there. We have MODs uh, representatives uh, there. We have armed forces uh, forces representatives there. And National Security Council. So we all sit together, and any cybersecurity company comes, we say, okay, you go to that ministry. 
there's a list where you decide that here are 20 ministries, uh, 20 state entities that, that are top priority for now. You can go here or there and, and inspect. Do you understand that we need, like, sometimes maybe weeks in order to understand what are the needs of uh, the particular st uh, state entity, objects of, object of, of critical infrastructure. And then after that, we have a project for every object. And this project goes to a transparent platform where you just uh, enter and see what exactly you need. And then Google says, okay, I donate amount of money. Cisco says, I donate money and servers. Canada says, I donate money. They, they all understand what we need, and it is stamped and approved by uh, somebody who has credibility. But Ilya, it sounds like you're trying to replicate what has been done on the military side, where there is this mutual conversation with allies of what artillery systems you need, what tanks, what armored vehicles, and you're trying to create that list on the cyber side as well and then see who can contribute to that. Is that right? Absolutely, but the, the only difference is that here in cybersecurity, it's a little bit, a little bit more difficult. Why? Because when we say about uh, military, we know how uh, how many rounds, how many shells we need. We know how many uh, tanks or planes or jets we need. And here, we still don't know how many servers, how many XDRs how many uh, security operational uh, centers, how many uh, CM systems we, we need. So we still don't have the full understanding uh, of what exactly we need. So this stage is also very important. And when we speak about military, this stage can be omitted. But the, the idea is the same. We have this system that is called Karawai. It was uh, built on... So there is a NATO system, LOCFAS, so we used this system and uh, rolled uh, this Karawai. And so our partners are attached to this system and they see custody, how many tags we need, how many, uh, all the stuff, and they donate. So yeah, the idea is like that, but a little bit deeper because of this preparation level we still need to do in, in cyber. Well, that's very helpful. And you know, for the, those in cybersecurity industry that are listening to us, you can get in touch with us, either Patrick or myself, and we'll get you connected if you want to donate your expertise, uh, come to Ukraine. It's it's a great country to visit. I was just there, and you, you're obviously doing a great cause if you do so. Um, now, uh, Ilya, I want to wrap up by asking you about a recent report you guys released on this Android malware that you guys discovered in your networks that seems to be a little bit different from the cyber attacks we've just talked about. They're targeting your infrastructure. This one was focused on collection of intelligence from battlefield systems. Presumably you guys use a lot of battlefield management software on Android devices. I know there's a system called Crapiva that focuses on artillery coordination and bringing resources to bear on the right targets. How do you assess that, that particular operation by the GRU, this Android attack? Do, do you think it's particularly sophisticated? You mentioned that they were able to also potentially write this malware, by collecting devices from the battlefield and understanding how they work and target them more specifically? Yes, this is a... I, we do believe that this is a very, very sophisticated attempt. We knew that military systems uh, were among top priority of uh, our enemy. Like I said, they started to focus more on the reconnaissance. And, the, and this was, first of all, the business military systems. Uh, this was uh, our logistics and uh, transportation. It was important for them to understand about how the, the, this uh, weapon uh, we receive from uh, our partners, what are the routes and how it has been uh, deployed. And of course, they tried uh, also to penetrate our, what, how they call it, uh, decision-making centers. So these are um, our ministries and our residence office, et cetera, et cetera, in order to get the most important intelligence about our plans, about the you know, weapon uh, and all on that stuff. And uh, yeah, indeed, it is very interesting. Uh, and this is something that uh, for sure will be used uh, by our partners. This is how effective we use uh, military situational awareness systems. And we have a number of them, most 
popular and most uh, prominent are uh, Beta and Crofriva, uh, but there are a number of others. And they were focusing their attention uh, specifically on this system all the time. So we've seen a number of attacks on the Delta, for instance, they created, uh, so it, it, and it's very important to understand. I do believe that not everybody from, from our, our listeners, they, they understand. So Delta, uh, the thing is that when you penetrate the system, you cannot see the whole picture. So it's like multi-layered. And so every user, he sees a small percentage only what he needs in order to conduct operation. It, it's to, if to, uh, uh, briefly describe. So, what they did, they created fake website of Delta, and that's how they uh, managed to get get people's uh, login and passwords. So, and and they tried to log into as many accounts as it's possible to, to see the, the the big picture. This was their first attempt. But uh, speaking about Kropiva, yeah, indeed, another important thing that we've witnessed how they uh, put their uh, hacker groups closer to the front lines. So there are uh, hacker groups working in Donetsk, for instance. And if, uh, in the very beginning, we thought, why was that? So what was, what the, was the point? But then we understood, because first, they have better cooperation with, with military, and they have quick access to devices, and they also have access to infrastructure our infrastructure on occupied territories. So in the Donetsk region, Zaporizhia region, Kherson region, so there's infrastructure of our uh, operators, of our uh, providers, uh, other systems that, that were there. So they, they, they could use this infrastructure and they can get quick access to devices because all these systems like Delta and Kropiva, they are installed whether you're on your phone or, or you're on your tablet, for instance, or on your computer. But the thing is that why Android? Because iPhone is uh, more expensive, of course, and we do understand that when we speak about uh, regular uh, people and military, usually they will have uh, Chinese phones, so more uh, not that expensive they are, and they are on Android in uh, fact. So, and they were that focused that uh, speaking about this Kropiva, we defined and, and thought at least seven malwares, custom malware, that were specifically invented for Kropiva. So, meaning that they got into, um, inspected it, and specifically built in their, as we understand, in their research institutes they had in uh, GRU, because this was a uh, conducted by GRU. So, they took this malware and penetrated. And there were, you know, why it was also sophisticated. So, they tried uh, to avoid detection. They were there were a number of backdoors, so alternative backdoors in order to get the information from the system. And why it was also very dangerous because it's not that you will get the information from Kropiva from this text. You will get the access to devices, so you will see pictures, you will see everything that's on your WhatsApp, Telegram, and whatever messages. You use so everything that's inside your phone could be exfiltrated, and that was extremely, extremely dangerous. And apart from that, uh, one of the mal uh, one of the uh, uh, sample of the malware was used in order to get the information about Starlinks. So if it is connected to Starlinks, the the configuration would go there, meaning that they would have the possibility also to coordinate their artillery shelling or missile attacks because they will see the coordinates of uh, Starlink uh, that this or that device is, atta is attached to. So you, if you will see a multiple number of devices with important information on it and with Starlink to see the coordinates so you understand where probably uh, the high rank of uh, military officials are situated. So that was another important and very dangerous stuff. So uh, and the preparation took a lot of time. So you need to so first you need to inspect this system. Then you need to produce this custom malware. Then you need to get inside penetrate. So it took months for them to try. And luckily we stopped it on initial stages. And according to our partners, special services and our partners from NATO, they say that this is first 
very bright example of uh, military cyber defense operation. We conducted this operation with armed forces, of course, because we needed to take and clean up all the devices that were sold. We needed to take this copyright, get inside, and we found how we managed. So we used the specific port, uh, 5555, in order to penetrate the enjoyed uh, devices. So we, we got this information, uh, we fixed it and fixed all the problem, then cleaned all the devices. Uh, and so uh, this was a long so, operation. So, so just, just to be clear, these devices had an open port, did they, on 5555? So the uh, Kropiva had this open port. Yeah, yeah. yeah that is, I mean, that is an yes. oversight, right? Like, it is lucky that you yes. caught that, because that would have enabled them to spread that malware to those devices uh, fairly yeah, easily. That's, that's exactly, you, you, you got the point. So, But the thing is that, you know, you always can... Almost always, you can find something. It might be this port or something else. The thing is that how focused you are, and whether you have professionals that will that are able to find this problem and then to build this malware, you know, and then yeah. to do to conduct the penetration. So this is what what I'm saying that these are not about ransomware guys, you know, just phishing email and then. Uh, walking no, your, was, your computer. This was, I mean, I, I read the report as well. I mean, this was the smartest thing we'd seen uh, from them in a while. I mean, you would probably agree with that, right? The most, it was the most creative thing we'd seen from the Russians in a little while. I would say this is one of the most creative things because yeah. there are a number of other uh, things that we are still in, 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 investigating and we just don't make it public. Uh, but believe me, this is not the only attack that we would call very sophisticated, unfortunately. All right, uh, Ilya Vichuk, thank you so much for uh, joining Dimitri and I to have this conversation. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm full-time on, on cyber and have been for 20 years, and this was just a fascinating discussion. Uh, thank you so much, and, and all of the best with your, uh, with your mission. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you, Dimitri. Thank you, Ilya.